0: Oh, Alondo's back.
1: Uh, Oh, did I leave? This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com iFreaks. This episode is sponsored by DevMountain. Dev Mountain is a coding school with the best world-class learning experience you can find. Dev Mountain is a 12-week full-time development course. With only 25 spots available, each cohort feels quickly. As a student, you will be assigned an individual mentor to help answer questions when you get stuck and make sure you are getting the most out of the class. Tuition includes 24-hour access to campus and free housing for our out-of-state applicants. In only 12 weeks, you'll have your own app in the App Store. Learn to Code, it's Time. Go to devmountain.com/slash iFreaks. Listeners of iFreaks will get a special $250 off when they use the coupon code IFREAKS at checkout. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 104 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel we have Alondo Brewington. Greetings from Goldsboro. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.TV, and this week we have a special guest, and that's J.P. Samard. You want to introduce yourself really quickly? Sure.
0: Yeah, well my name's JP. I'm uh, greetings from San Francisco, I guess I should say. And uh work at Realm, uh based here in San Francisco, database company. It's as nerdy as it gets. Um <laughs> and me personally I work on the Coco team. Uh do a lot of Swift, a lot of Objective C and uh, really try to blur the lines there and try to make it do things um
1: sometimes that it wasn't supposed to do but for the benefit of the user. Very cool. So Realm it's funny because I heard the name and I was like, are we talking to another game developer? <laughs> <laughs> but it's not. You want to give us a brief overview of what Realm is, what it's about? Sure. And and I mean, a brief aside on the name, it's it's still better than the name we had
0: uh, just about a year ago before we launched, TightDB. Uh So that, uh, oh you know, yeah Realm is an
1: improvement. Let's just I had about three jokes come
0: <laughs> into my head, I'll refrain. Pain <laughs> rating and all of that. Yeah. Well, you know, um, before I actually say what the, what the company is about and what realm is, uh, the bit of backstory about the founders, they're all from Denmark. They came out of Nokia. And, uh, so actually their, their English is, is flawless, really. Um, probably, uh, you know, I learn words from them pretty often, but, uh, nonetheless, you know, they didn't necessarily catch on to necessarily how the name could be perceived. And so just about this time last year, we're big and, um, pushing a new name and, Now we're called Realm. So sounds like a game company, but, uh, databases. Why not? And, uh, since you asked, Realm is a database, database for mobile platforms. Uh, so we have bindings for Objective-C, Swift, and, uh, and Java for Android. Gotcha. So that's in a nutshell what it is. It's, it's basically a core data replacement, but it doesn't use SQLite under the hood. It's a brand new database engine that was built, uh, you know, along our development, and it's, Basically bringing the modern features of uh, of databases from, you know, the last 15 years from server-side databases back to mobile.
1: Gotcha. So it's local to the device. It's not another... It by, certainly is, yeah. It's an embedded site. database. There you go. Yeah, okay. You can think of it like SQLite, like core data,
0: except, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit more optimized for mobile, we tend to think.
2: So in what ways would would you say that, like something that we could see as an advantage over a SQLite or Core Data implementation, particular to mobile as an advantage?
0: Right. For one, you could say performance. So SQLite was never necessarily developed or even designed uh, to run on smartphones. You know, it it was designed in uh, the early 2000s, and it was designed to run on military aircraft carriers, of all things. Uh, That being said, it's an incredibly well-written piece of software, and amazing apps and amazing Embedded software have been written using it, but ultimately it was never necessarily designed for, you know, iOS apps or Android apps. Um, that's fundamentally, you know, a very new concept when it comes to that. So when you look at kind of the way that it was designed, it, never really uh, mapped to the way that people tend to use it in apps, where it's really kind of this graph-like data model. And that's kind of where Core Data comes in and these other ORMs, where they'll map, you know, an object graph to this more tabular relational database style. What Realm kind of brings to the table is kind of cutting out that indirection, that mapping. It represents object graphs directly in the database. And so in that sense, you know, the Cocoa binding, the Swift binding, the Android bindings. They're really just thin wrappers, uh, rather than ORMs. And really all of this functionality when it comes to, um, maintaining the object graphs, inverse relationships, uh, traversal of links, you know, that's all really done in the core database engine. So, you know, that's, that's a fundamental difference. But ultimately, you know, as a user, you might not necessarily see the difference other than, you know, you're, you're a lot closer to the metal. And so you can get very similar performance as you would with, say, raw SQLite or even faster, but with the functionality that you'd get out of, you know, something like Core Data.
2: And how long has this been around? I mean, how long has this been under development or actually out in the wild?
0: Well, you know, building a database is not something that you reach an MVP in a few months, uh, unfortunately. And so, this has actually been in development for um, like just about four years now. And so, the first three years of that was stealth, uh, basically working on the core database engine. And then I joined just about last year when we really started putting an effort on you know, focusing on, on bindings. And so that's kind of where I fit in uh, working on, on the Cocoa side of things.
1: So uh, I guess what I'm wondering is, first off, if, if I want to add this to an application and start using it, what are kind of the best steps or first steps to just getting it in so that I can start uh, playing with it?
0: Yeah, well, there's there's a handful of ways, you know, uh these days with the proliferation of uh, dependency managers for for Coco. Uh there's no shortage of ways to install this, but it's essentially a framework. Um so now that you know iOS 8 and uh you know Mac has had these forever, but uh, essentially dynamic frameworks, uh you basically can just drag in this uh this dot framework uh into your Xcode project and uh fire away and then from there it's you know it's linked and you can start using it just like you know, say you were linking any other system framework. And of course, we support CocoaPods in Carthage, and you can install a static framework if you're using iOS 7. Uh, so, you know, there's a, there's a handful of ways, but it's essentially a framework or a module if you're using it from Swift.
1: Gotcha. Is this something that you can use in like, uh, Swift Sandbox?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's totally Sandbox. What Realm will do is it'll, uh, y- you can use what's called, what we call the default Realm. And so it really cuts away a lot of the boilerplate. You know, if, if you ever use core data, you're familiar with the concept of an NS Persistence Store and File Coordinator and all that. And there's actually quite a bit of boilerplate just to set up a file that you can write to. And so by using the default realm, it's basically kind of a shortcut that will just pick a location in the sandbox. In the iOS, that'll be in your documents directory. In, on OS 10, that'll be in the application support directory of your app. And it'll just create you know, a file called default.realm and then uh, it'll store everything in there. So it works entirely in a sandboxed way, uh, both from a file access standpoint and from um, you know, all the
1: APIs that we use. That makes sense. And then how does the... I've just kind of been browsing through the documentation and stuff, but how does the API actually compare to like Core Data or SQLite or both?
0: Well, it's actually quite similar in terms of, kind of using this concept of object accessors to represent underlying database information. And so you know what uh, what core data and, and realm both do is that you'll be able to create say an, an objective c class and core data does this through code generation you know where you'll define your model in their graphical editor uh, in xcode and then you'll have a code generation step that gives you objective c classes you know so my model class or something like that that in core data will inherit from ns managed object in realm you basically skip this code generation step, and you just write your class as if it was just an in-memory regular NS object. You just inherit from RLM object. And so once you have these classes, you kind of define your, your schema just by setting properties. You know, so say we wanted to model a person. Uh, so you'd have at interface person that inherits from RLM object, and then you can add an add property and a string for the person's name, uh, NS integer for that person's age. And then from there, you can also have Say you have, uh, I don't know, children for this person or friends. You know, you can have this concept of relationships just like you would regular NS objects. So you do at property, person is the type of the property, and then you'd have, you know, spouse or child or parent or whatever. And then you can have the same concept with typed collections, so one-to-many collections or many-to-many, uh, where we have this concept of an RLM array. So you basically specify that you want a property of children, uh, and that's app property, RLM array of children. Uh, so that's basically how you how you define your schema in Realm. And then from there, when you're actually using the object, you can you know, instantiate this regular Objective-C object, and then you have this uh, basically view of the underlying database data. So you set a property, it'll set the database value. You read a property, it'll read the value from the database, etc. So it kind of bypass loading everything into IVARS altogether.
2: Is the reverse relationship that you get with core data, is that present in Realm as well? So, like, when you create the.
0: So, so the nice thing with relationships in Realm is that they're represented natively in the database file and the database engine. And so, uh, whereas in SQLite, say, if you were building any sort of ORM that's built on top of that, because it's an entirely relational database, you basically have to create foreign keys for any kind of relationship that you would want, and then you'd have to do a join operation in SQLite on on these tables in order to get kind of what matches up. Uh, and thankfully in Realm, it's really just a pointer that you follow. You know, the internal representation of this data is uh, essentially uh, this giant B-tree where you can really just follow links, and so there's no difference between, say, an integer column and a link column. And so when it comes to backlinks, because it's this basically giant tree and this graph, in a sense, of your objects. then to do a backlink is really just doing that link in the inverse direction. And so it's really quite efficient.
2: So let's say I've got an existing app with a ton of domain objects. Would I, in practice here, simply replace the inheritance directly from NSObject with RLM object or, or is there a better practice or another practice? I didn't say better, but another practice I should use if I was to implement Realm for an existing uh, application. No, that's,
0: that's exactly, um, the kind of main design and the main use case that we designed for, uh, was really to bring this concept of persistence kind of out of the equation and bring working with uh, a database and, and this data model framework to be as close as possible to what people are already familiar with uh, in terms of in memory ns objects you know plain old ns objects uh, and so that's definitely a good approach to take because ultimately things will mostly work in terms of of defining your data model anyway uh, just inheriting from RLM object instead of ns object i mean there's a handful of uh, properties that we don't actually support and so say that you had i don't know say that you had properties in your objective c object before migrating to Realm that had like an NSURL property or any sort of non-data model-like property that you had on your object, then you would either have to kind of compose that into another Realm object and then you can create a relationship on it, uh, which is what a lot of people do, and then you can create a computed property, you know, say like a read-only property or uh, override the setter and getter for this kind of property so that you can Write and read the composed type. I'm probably not explaining that very clearly. Do you understand what I'm saying?
2: I do, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I have a okay. particular object case that I'm thinking of as you're describing this.
0: Right. So, like, say you you had uh, a regular data model. It was all in memory. You know, you're not using any third party frameworks or, or Core Data or whatever. Just using NS object based models. And you had an object, say, website that had. Um, an NSURL property. And say you wanted to persist that in Realm, well, what you could do is still keep that URL property, but just mark it as ignored in Realm, which you can do through overriding this class method to tell Realm to ignore that property, and instead create uh, maybe something like backing URL, which would actually point to, say, uh, an NS string where anytime you read from your actual URL property, you would construct an NSURL from the string. And then every time you write to the URL property, you would kind of take the string out of that URL and store it in the backing URL string. So that's kind of one way to do things where ultimately this is a pretty flexible approach, which really extends to being able to store, basically if you can compose any type, then in terms of, the data types that Realm supports, then you can basically have those types in your model as well. It's really just bringing this concept of, of computed properties. And that's, for example, like really useful for Swift, where say you wanted to use um, Swift enums that don't really have, like ideally you would have an associated type. And so what you could do is have this computed property that when you set the enum property, well, it sets this backing enum that just grabs the string from it or the int from it and stores that in Realm. And you can do the same thing the other way around when you're reading from that object. So it's a pretty flexible way, I think. And we've debated you know, the team so many times in terms of, kind of adding more explicit support and more native support for certain types like NSURLs. But ultimately, there's a tiny bit of boilerplate that allows anyone to create, to basically add support for for their own types that uh, it's never really been a major consideration for us.
1: So I want to kind of change uh, directions a little bit.
0: Yeah, um, please do.
1: F- first of all, it looks like you have Realm Cocoa and Realm Java. So do you maintain two versions of the same database? Uh, well, there are two bindings on top of our
0: cross-platform core. Okay. Uh, so the, the core is the, really the heart of the database engine. Uh, it's written in C++. It's very portable. It's especially optimized for ARM devices and uh, especially em- embedded platforms. But, I mean, it still, still runs pretty performantly on, uh, you know, things like Intel chips and MacBooks and things like that. And so Realm Cocoa, and Realm Java, they're, Really just kind of bringing the idiomatic language components, uh, and mapping those to the core database engine. So for example, in Coco, it's what wraps the Objective-C runtime and this concept of uh, Objective-C objects to how those are stored in the, in the underlying database file. But ultimately, it's a pretty close one-to-one mapping. The
1: other so question. The, the have...
0: Coco binding does other things like, uh, say add support for parsing NS predicates and oh, okay. you know, things like that. So it just makes it a lot easier to work with from a language standpoint, but I would say that it really doesn't do any of the heavy lifting.
1: The other question I have is I clicked on pricing because I was I always wonder with these kinds of things where it's a company that's backed by funding or whatever and you know you're basically realm has people working for them to build realm and so it's okay, well, how are they going to sustain this? How How do I know it's going to be around for a while? And it looks like you offer additional enterprise products, services, etc. What kinds of things fall under that realm, I guess, so to speak? (laughs) Uh,
0: Yeah, nice pun. So... Ever since we actually had uh, kind of a minimum viable product, even just for the database core, not even for these bindings that we built on top and that we've since open-sourced, ever since the core was uh, pretty stable, we've had clients, uh, basically enterprise clients, or enterprise is kind of a strange word. They're more like bigger clients that wanted access to uh, that source directly, or they wanted a special level of support uh, I mean, you know, we try to answer all of our support calls and uh, not calls. We, we we don't have a phone line uh, set up or anything like that, but we try to support all of the support tickets, even for, for the free and open source stuff, you know, as soon as we possibly can. Usually that's within, you know, a few hours. But um, ultimately some companies, especially in the earlier days of Realm, uh, kind of wanted a, a more direct line. Uh, and so you know we have special arrangements with those companies, but ultimately they don 't end up getting a different product uh, at all from what we offer in 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 the open source variety uh, it 's really just kind of a way for us to um, to keep the lights on yeah, that makes sense you know the one thing I will say is it, we're we 're still at this point i, I think we 're at twenty four people across the world now at, at, you know, working on realm and we 've got people work, working on the core database engine uh, Java. Objective C and some other stuff that you know, we haven't quite announced yet, but you know it's still a company and almost entirely made up of developers. And uh, you know it's it, it's something that's super important to us is is this concept of open source and keeping the bindings uh, completely open and uh, taking in pull requests and developing this in the open as well. You know, anytime we have a design discussion, uh, we put it up on on GitHub or uh, it'll be on our blog or something like that, and that's. That'll remain you know, extremely important to us for the foreseeable future. So that's why it's super important for us to have kind of a business model that can sustain us in the long term without kind of sacrificing the, the overall product or even kind of our, uh, the, the users of the free and open source product.
2: So I think that to ask a question is actually kind of going, switching gears back to some of the more technical aspects of Realm. The first thing I thought about was one of the pains that I've had, you know, if you're doing something other, other than the most basic of changes in, in core data, and that's migrating, updating the data model because it, it tends to change over time. How difficult is that with Realm?
0: All of us working on uh, the Cocoa side of Realm anyway come from an app-making background. Some of us worked at agencies, um, companies like Tumblr, and you know, all sorts of places. And so we're we're all pretty familiar with core data, and that's kind of what we look for in people joining the team, too, is just some level of familiarity with the existing tools out there. And so, yeah, like we're we're acutely aware of of the pains that are associated with core data migrations. And so when we were designing the migration API, uh, we thought about this a lot, and we ended up kind of comparing all sorts of different model frameworks, even across different platforms and different languages and and what they tend to do. And ultimately, I think we ended up settling on um, this sort of sweet spot solution that still gives you kind of some of the power and, and almost... You know, ease of use uh, for, for simple core data migrations where you have this concept of automatic migrations. The problem with core data migrations is when you start to do something, anything remotely more complex than say just adding a new property and you don't want any data in there. You know and that's really when you start to manipulate data as part of migrations, which is really the predominant use case and that's where solutions like core data really start to be pretty heavy actually, where you know you have to create this special uh, what is it called ns managed uh, i i forget what it 's called, but basically have to subclass this migration worker in in core data anyway so it it starts to be pretty hairy and so we were looking at that another source of inspiration for us was um the way that FC model does its migrations. I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, it's a model framework by Marco Arment of InstaPaper and Overcast uh, fame. And the way that he ended up doing migrations in there was was really quite nice, but it really had no support for this concept of automatic migrations. So what we've ended up doing is something that's kind of in between with with a few inspirations from a little bit elsewhere as well. But the concept is basically that before you open a Realm when it needs to be migrated, say you've made some model schema changes, then what you'd have to do is just update the schema version of your Realm file. right? So that's a must. And then from there, you can enumerate over all of the data that's in your in your realm, and then from there you can access the contents of your RLM objects through keyed subscripting. So it's a it's an interface that's really similar to NS dictionary. So because you're basically dealing with information and models that may be outdated, classes and properties might not exist at runtime uh, where they used to in the past. And so that's why we kind of have this flexible, uh, stringly typed keyed subscripting approach where you can say new object and then you subscript something like full name property equals, you know, the concatenation of old object, uh, subscripted on first name plus old object subscript or yeah, keyed subscripted on last name. And so you can do this data manipulation in a type unsafe manner, which is pretty, different from the rest of Realm, but it's kind of necessary if you don't want to have to preserve all of the different states of your model schema throughout the entire history of your app, which is really what tends to bite people with core data is that you have to basically freeze your model schema at all the previous versions, and preserve all those previous versions, and even ship them with your app. And we kind of thought that was a little bit redundant, given that the database file already has all this data about what the data model used to be. And so, in that sense, we kind of take away some of that work away from the developer, who, let's be honest, can make mistakes, and back towards the database file, which already has the relevant information. Uh, so probably the best way to understand it is really just to take a look at our docs, realm.io slash docs slash coco. Uh, and that should give you an idea of, of what the migration API looks like.
2: So have there been any have you had experience with people migrating from core data to Realm?
0: Yeah, we have. Um, and to be honest, that's a little tricky at this point. What's easy is doing the code refactor. So we've had some of our users, even some of the bigger users with hundreds of thousands of, of end users or install base on their app, manage to do the conversion. I should say in an evening. You know, so we really do strive to keep Realm's API as simple and straightforward as possible. And I think in practice, uh, most people that I've seen transfer over um, have had a pretty easy time. Where it starts to get a little complicated is when you have uh, data files on your end user's devices that need to be migrated. And what's tricky about that is that if there's no way around it. You basically have to maintain for a certain amount of time anyway, uh, your, all of your old core data code, all of your old core data schemas and models and NS managed object subclasses and all that because It's the only way that you can get the data out of a core data SQLite file and then put it back into a Realm file, say, because they are incompatible formats. Realm has its own file format. And so that's really where it gets tricky. And we've had lots of users do this, but it is essentially a manual process that you basically have to do that mapping yourself because they're... There really is no straightforward way where Realm could just pick up on all of the information stored in a SQLite file and that you wouldn't have to link core data to be able to get that information out. It's something that we're considering kind of writing a little uh, helper tool for where you can basically add this library to your app that would basically just be a thin core data reader um, that would be able to get this information out of a core data file and then... Into a realm file, but the problem with that really is that none of this is publicly documented, so core data 's internal representation of uh, you know the SQLite file format or the at least the way that it uses it is completely undocumented and it 's pretty easy to figure out, but the thing is that could break at any time uh, you know they could, Apple could change that at any minute, and so To basically provide users with this thin kind of reverse engineered core data reader that they'd be shipping in their production app seems, you know, a little dangerous and therefore we just kind of recommend that people go the manual route.
1: Is is there a good guide for that though that says you're probably going to want to look at these things. You're probably going to want to hook up core data this way and here are some of the gotchas that people run into and that's why we don't have a, an automated process is because these are the concerns that may or may not apply. Yeah,
0: that's right. Well, actually, the the best resource there, we have a handful of user interviews at Realm.io, uh, so realm.io slash users, and there are a handful there that kind of explain the transition that they went through uh, going from core data to Realm. And so there's probably some tips that uh, you know listeners who are interested in doing the switch or at least trying it out can uh, read up on.
2: Gotcha. Okay, so I had a question about sort of transactions being able to say, for instance, I have an app where I have the user go through maybe two or three screens as a part of a. Uh, so I've got like onboarding
0: you know, process. Or? Exactly. Yes,
2: and so I'm saving information as I go, but at the very end, if they cancel it, I need to basically unwind all of that. How easy is that to implement using Realm?
0: It depends how you want to do it. There are like a dozen ways that you could potentially implement that. Uh, and each of them kind of has their own drawbacks. But you know, ultimately what you could do. So here's kind of a little aside. RLM objects can be instantiated and, and initialized as just regular NS objects. So, you know, you can just basically have this person property that we were talking about. Uh, or say it's a user for this onboarding example. Uh, so you, you call user alloc init. And you basically just have an equivalent object as if you were inheriting from NSObject. So what you could do in this onboarding process is basically just pass this in-memory object that's not tied to a realm at all. It's not persisted. It's not even tied to an in-memory realm. You know, it's just a plain old NSObject. You can pass that around throughout the process and then set whatever properties that you need. You know, do whatever data manipulation that you, that you want. And then if, say, uh, the user cancels at the end of the process, well, then you just throw away this in-memory object because you didn't really do anything realm related. All you did was reuse the same data model that you've already defined for your database. Now, if the user says, yes, finish, save, whatever, then, uh, you can just call, uh, Arlem realm. So RLM realm is, is the class for a Realm. You just do Realm add object, and you pass in this in-memory object, and it'll persist it. So that's probably the easiest and most straightforward way that I would recommend that you do it. The only reasons that I can think of that you might actually want to persist it along the way is if, say, you wanted, say for whatever reason, the user force quit your app like halfway through the onboarding process, and when you launch the app again, you want it to start off from you know where they left off. Then you might want to persist it at every step of the way but you might not actually want it to be an official user until they've actually pressed the save button at the very end of the process at which point to be honest like at that point you can't necessarily roll back those transactions because they could have happened you know like weeks ago essentially uh, so what i'd probably do there is basically just set like is saved property uh, like a boolean property on the object that you would just flip to yes once the user actually presses save. So it really depends on the use case, but there's a handful of ways you could do it.
2: Okay. And sort of going along those, those lines of making these uh, sort of changes, writes and, or deletes from the, from the database, for cascaded deletes, if I have an object that is, you know, has children objects and I delete that object, is that something that's automatically done for me? Do I get the cascading deletes? Do I have any control over that at all? Unfortunately not, no. And
0: that's, that's actually a pretty big drawback right now over, say, core data where it would take care of those cascading deletes for you. So we're working on a design that would essentially provide this kind of ownership semantics. So you could have properties have either strong or weak relationships to their uh, relationships. Strong or stronger weak ownership over their relationships. And so, Uh, In that sense, if you had a weak relationship, well, deleting, say, a parent object wouldn't actually cause children objects to be deleted. But if you had a strong relationship, um, then if you're the last object linking to a child object, then deleting the parent object would actually delete the child. And so we've thought this through, and I think we have a decent design in place, but it's not something that we've shipped. Uh, It's not something that we've fully implemented just yet. Um, and this is actually one of those things that's very tricky to have to do on your own because you basically want to know how many objects are linking to the entirety of your object graph. And so for like an end user to build this functionality on top of Realm would be pretty tricky. And we have this information in the core database engine already. It's just that we haven't fully implemented this cascading delete logic just yet. But, you know, we have people working on it.
1: So I'm I'm wondering, are there use cases then? It sounds like this is more or less a complete stand-in for core data, or at least that's the idea. Are there instances where you would or wouldn't want to use Realm as kind of just, you know, solid examples one way or the other?
0: Yeah, well, a big one there is sync. So core data through iCloud, d- depending on, on your thoughts on that, uh, <laughs> does offer a synchronization method, uh, whereas or mechanism I should say whereas realm doesn't have any sort of concept for sync just yet and that's something that that we're working pretty heavily on actually and thankfully the way that we designed the database engine I think when we do actually have sync I think it'll be quite nice and it won't necessarily be you know patched on top of a database on top of an ORM uh, it'll actually be core to the way that realm works but um ultimately we don't have that today and so if sync is a big requirement for you then realm uh will definitely be a harder sell because you'd have to build that in yourself that being said you know if, if you want to use things like reskit or uh, if you want to build your own syncing on top of realm you're you're more than welcome to and for a lot of cases you know that's what people have done when they have custom sqlite stores they'll just build a sync solution that's um specific to their uh, business needs, you know. So that's one, one kind of limitation where you'd, you'd probably uh, want to look at other options other than Realm. Another big thing, and, and that thankfully is pretty close to landing in terms of functionality, but uh, currently we don't have any sort of way to know when a notification triggers that a change happened in the database. We don't currently have a mechanism to uh, inspect that notification to see what has changed, you know. So, there's no equivalent concept to say NSFetchResultsController results controller in core data where you'd be able to say uh, which items were moved removed, added updated you know and so uh right now our users who are doing this kind of functionality are doing kind of this manual diff between the old version and the new version uh thankfully, that's something that we're working pretty hard on, and it's you know we have we have a work in progress k v o branch and um, the equivalent to a fetch results controller that uh, should be landing pretty soon, but it's not in there now. Finally, uh, since I'm kind of uh, on a roll here in terms of talking about the drawbacks of Realm, there's another big one, and that's that null values aren't supported. So basically optional properties. So say you had a model, all of the properties on that model have to be set to something. Even if it's an empty string or, or just zero, it has to be set to a value. And so we're in the process of adding this null support for types on a piecemeal basis. But uh, it was a pretty core design decision originally when the database engine was was first built. Uh, And so now we're kind of going back and changing a lot of these assumptions to allow uh, this concept of of null to be supported. So I'd, I'd say those
1: three are really the biggest drawbacks currently. When you were talking about syncing, I don't know why, but whenever somebody says syncing, I always think of this video on YouTube. I'll put a link in the show notes just because it's, it's pretty funny. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I am wondering with some of these features, do you foresee having those features in within the next few months or year? Or are you just not ready to make any kind of uh, commitment that way?
0: Um, well, I can tell you that they're, they're super highly prioritized. But yeah, in terms of giving you an, an absolute timeline on that, it's, it's not something that we like to do, and I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you. It's not even something that we like to do internally. Um, so it's not like we're yeah. necessarily uh, keeping a schedule very close to the chest or anything like that. It's more that we prefer to be flexible, and oftentimes, you know, other things will come up. So, for example, you know, there was a very strong community interest in us adding native encryption to Realm. And so even though on iOS and well, on iOS you can use NS file protection, which will uh, you know encrypt your your files in a pretty um robust way, that wasn't available on there's no equivalent on OS ten or on Android. And so we ended up building that in, but that wasn't necessarily a feature that we thought we would be prioritizing just a few months before that. And you know, other things happen like sometimes we'll We'll say, well, Swift happens. And so we kind of divert some cycles and work on a Swift API. And so it's more that uh, we don't want to disappoint anyone, but currently the three kind of major drawbacks that I just mentioned are really the three highest prioritized, uh, highest priorities um, for us internally. But I, I, we don't really want to commit to any sort of time frame.
1: No, I just know that you
0: end end up rushing functionality, and you know that's certainly not something that you want out of out of a database.
1: Yeah, I've I've talked to some companies, and they tend to have like an announced timeline or something like that, and that's kind of what I was driving at. But yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, but I can say that uh, a lot of these features we want to have in the next year for sure, in the next 12 months. And if you look at the uh, the change log. Uh, on on github you'll see that we've actually been i don't know I, I i would think that we've been pretty prolific in terms of um adding new features and and fixing bugs and and doing things like that and so i i see no reason for that to slow down especially given that our coco team has grown about four times over in the last uh 6 months alone oh.
2: Um, a quick question as far as like, someone getting started and getting some assistance. I see there's documentation. I was curious, is there a forum where users of uh, Realm can uh, discuss issues? Sure.
0: Yeah. So there's, there's a few ways. One is the Google group. So we do have a mailing list where users can kind of talk to each other and they can ask questions you know, to the general community. And sometimes we answer, sometimes a member of the community answers. And so, you know, that's really a great place. So if you have just general questions about usage, or actually it's it's better suited for kind of in-depth conversations about you know why something is designed a certain way or whatever. Uh and then there's stack overflow. There's there's just so much that happens over stack overflow, people just say, you know. How can I do this in realm? And most of the time, it's really just kind of, there are questions that relate to how do I structure this in an NS predicate, say? But, you know, it's still something that we actively monitor and we support. And another place where people tend to chat or at least tend to communicate with us is, um, via GitHub. And so if people have an idea for a feature or they have even a pull request with something implemented or they found a bug, you know, GitHub is really uh, a pretty good medium for for communicating that. And then you can always email us, sometimes with people uh, who want to email us kind of private files or their their private projects, in which case uh, you can do that in complete privacy at uh, help at realm.io. And then that way, you know, it's not something that you're sharing publicly, you're just
1: sharing it with us.
2: Nice. Very cool. I did have one other question. I was just curious about the SQL queries. Is it sort of closely mimicking uh just basic SQL or is there like a special subset of functions that we need to know
0: Yeah there's from the cocoa APIs the only way to query or to do any sort of uh yeah statements like that is through NS predicate and so we actually don't have any sort of SQL uh statement parser or anything like that and so a lot of those concepts don't even apply. So, just because of you know the architecture of Realm, uh, a lot of the SQL statements that that are in the spec uh, just wouldn't apply. So things like limit uh, on a SQL statement, because everything is lazily loaded and you basically just have this view of your data, limiting wouldn't actually have any sort of effect. That and this concept of foreign and primary keys is kind of unnecessary with native relationships. So for a bunch of reasons, those included, uh, we really opted to expose our own query interface. And so the core database engine has this type-safe, uh, all-method-based, function-based query interface, but as a Cocoa user, as a user of the Realm Cocoa binding or or even the Realm Swift binding, you're never going to see those. You're just going to deal with NS predicates, and uh, you know you're familiar with that.
1: Okay. So I guess the last question is, if people want to know more about Realm, or if somebody's like totally sold on it and they're like, I'm never using Core Data again, <laughs> where, where do they go? They can reach us on Twitter at uh, Realm. Or you know any
0: of the other mechanisms that I mentioned, you know, if they have questions, Stack Overflow, uh if they found an issue or they want to uh file a PR, then GitHub is a great place for that. And then uh they can always reach us privately, help at realm.io. But I'd I'd also say, you know, if you're not sold on realm and, and they're You know, there are things that you find that it's lacking, you know, since Realm is in beta, which I probably should have mentioned earlier on, uh, Realm's at 091.5 is our version number. So since we're in beta, this is really the best time to kind of shape the product. Uh, and we really hope that Realm can kind of help usher in a new era of data modeling and, and even databases on mobile. And so um, if you have any thoughts in terms of things that we can improve, or if there are parts that you don't like and that you'd like us to work on more actively, please do reach out for that too, because this is a very feedback critical stage that we're at.
1: I did have one other question, and I can't believe neither of us asked this, because we, we've talked about testing a bit, but uh, when I'm testing my code, does it look more or less like I'm testing code that accesses core data?
0: Right, yeah. Well, that's actually a big concern of people who are familiar with testing core data-related things where you have to set up a scratch context or, in any sense, a, a different context. And with Realm, there's a number of things that make that way easier. So for one, you can essentially use your RLM objects and, and your model objects uh, just as regular objects. And so if you just want to test basically the business logic of your app, you're not necessarily testing the, uh, the persistence aspects of it then you can really just instantiate those objects as if they were regular NS objects. So that really does simplify a lot of the testing around it because you, you basically take away this um, other concern that you're hoping, anyway, that Realm takes care of. And then there are certainly parts where you do want to test that things are being persisted properly and you want to test it uh, exactly as your app will go through it as well, in which case you can always inject an RLM realm instance, which is this class that we use to represent database access, essentially. And so if you shape your code in such a way where you can inject which database that it's using, which which realm it's using, then that makes things much easier to test as well, where you're not relying on any sort of database persistent state that happened in your app because you can basically inject that from your tests and and that also kind of simplifies other traditional concerns that you'd necess- that you'd probably have if you're dealing with asynchronous potentially expensive operations like writing to the disk where you can actually inject an in, in-memory realm and have your tests run significantly faster with the knowledge that it's still going through the same code path
1: All right, I don't think I have any other questions. Uh for you I All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, get to some picks then. Alando, do you want to go
2: first? Sure. I actually only have one pick, and I'm going to take a page from you, Charles, from something you did a few weeks back. I'm going to recommend a thing that people do. I'm a big <laughs> fan of coworking. I try to go to as many co-working spaces as I can. I think it's a better environment than just working out of a coffee shop. I mean, I'll, I do that as well. But I like supporting uh, co-working uh, communities. I think it's a great thing. It's a great place to, to just feed off creative energy and, and also work with other people as well. So along that line, there is one site you can use to locate uh, co-working spaces near you, and it's desksurfing.net. And uh, it's pretty – I believe it's pretty up-to-date. I've been looking at it um, and using it to try to locate places when I'm traveling. So that is my one pick this week. Very
1: nice. Um, I'm going to make a couple of picks this week. I just finished the book, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard of this one, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I need to go back and go through it again, but it was pretty awesome. Um I'm also going to pick Workflowy. Uh, that's at Workflowy.com. Um, I've been playing with it. Um I've tried a whole bunch of other to-do apps. Some work better than others. But uh anyway, I'm trying this one out just to see how it goes. Basically, what you get is a freeform outline, and then you can mark stuff as completed or whatever. And it also has tagging and stuff like that. So it's kind of a minimalist text-based to-do list that syncs to all my devices. And so I'm really enjoying that. And then I also want to pick a couple of books. I've been out for the last couple of weeks because I've been at conferences. And when I travel, I listen to books on Audible. And two really short books that I listen to that are influencing the way that I'm using Workflowy are Mini Habits and Habit Stacking. And so if you go read those two books, uh, they're both different approaches. They're kind of orthogonal to each other. So you can use them both at the same time and you can use them together. So Micro Habits, it just talks about getting motivation by doing something that's really, really small. And the idea is, is that there's less resistance to doing something small than to doing something large. And what it is, is it's a hack to getting bigger stuff done. So you pick a small habit, like do one pushup today. And, you know, so you think about doing a pushup and it's like, that's easy. I could totally do one pushup. And if you just do one pushup, you reached your goal, you get the pat on the back, you get all the good feelings uh, from reaching a goal, but... A lot of times you're down there, you do one push-up, and you're like, hey, I'm already in push-up position. Why don't I do a few more? And so then you can wind (laughs) up doing 5 or 10 or 20. But, you know, the idea of doing like 20 push-ups or 100 push-ups, in my mind, you know, that brings up this resistance because it's it's going to take some time and it's hard. But doing one push-up is, oh, okay, I'm under no obligation to do more than one. I can just get down and do one. And then habit stacking is more about building a routine, now, the idea is is that you probably have several things that you want to do better at. And so rather than starting the habit of brushing your teeth every morning or something like that, you can set up a routine. And so then you get in the habit of doing your routine every day. And so that's just one habit, right, that you you work through. Or, you know, you can have one in the morning and one in the evening or one during lunch or whatever. But then you put these other things into your routine And then you just get into the habit of starting your routine and then you just work your way through it. And that's uh, actually
0: a pretty great idea.
1: Yeah. Um, Have you found that it it helps you be more uh, vigilant and uh, responsible, I guess? Yeah. I've only been doing this for like a week because I just got back from RailsConf last week and I, I listened to these books when I was in Las Vegas for MicroConf, which was two weeks ago. So, so far, yes. You know, I just get up and start going. The only things I really worry about is that, um, I'm trying to do a morning routine and that routine runs the same time that my kids are getting ready for school and things. And so sometimes it's easy to get derailed, but then I just make sure I get back to it. And the nice thing is, is that the last thing in my routine is sit down and do something for my client or sit down and record a video, um, depending on the day. And so by sitting down and, and making that the last thing in my workflow, it's easier to just flow right into work. And so I don't sit down and, you know, hit the resistance that I hit, um, when I'm thinking about, Oh crap, I've got this major feature. I've got, I've got to add to my client project. It's okay. I'm just going to sit down and flow right into that. A lot of times I actually throw a mini habit at the end. And so, for example, I need to record videos because I had the Kickstarter campaign fund for Ruby on Rails videos. And so. You know, that's just sit down and do 10 minutes of research. No big deal. And then by the time I'm done, you know, I've got another video planned out because I spent more than 10 minutes. But that just kind of gets me into my day. And so, you know, there are a lot of different ways to kind of piece these things together and make them work. And it's it's really cool stuff. And since I'm so terrible about, oh, that's a big thing, I'm going to put it off and put it off and put it off. If I can turn it into a mini habit, then it's just, okay, you know, I'm going to do this small little thing. Every day, And so then I can just start. And then if that's all I have the energy for, then that's all I do. And I don't feel bad because I didn't fail. But if I have more energy, then I go after that. So anyway, I've talked a lot about this, but yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, those sound like some pretty great life hacks. And do you find that the the actual mechanism is uh, actually making a big difference there rather than just, or is it just a matter of because you're thinking about it, then you actually end up doing a lot more. Like almost like the, the exact format of, you know, these habit stacking or these micro habits is just getting you to think about the things that you have to do more. And so you end up doing them.
1: No, no, uh, for me, if I think about it more, all the things I have to do, I get overwhelmed. Right. So it really is a hack. It's a mental hack that gets me to do this stuff. And so if I'm thinking, okay, all I have to do is one push up, no pressure. You know, I don't have to go to the gym. I don't have to go lift weights. I just have to do one push-up. Then I do it. And then if I think about, well, I'd like to do 10, but I only have to do one, then I set myself up to fail because I may not do 10. And so it really is, look, all I have to do is reach my goal. That's it. It's it's idiotically simple. It's small. But, yeah, that's what I have to do. And the same thing with the habit stacking is that, again, it's just, you know what, I just need to get up and brush my teeth. And then after I get up and brush my teeth, you know, then I have a drink of water and then um, I go find something to eat. But the thing is, is all I have to do is get up and start the routine. And then I just know, OK, whatever I have next in the list is the next thing I'm doing. And mostly the get up and brush your teeth stuff, brush your teeth, uh, have a drink, all that stuff is just um, they are things that help me wake up so that then I can go to the gym. And so my my routine in the morning is get up, brush your teeth, have a drink, find something to eat, go to the gym. And all I have to do on that one, because that's, that's another mini habit hack, is all I have to do is drive there. And then I can drive straight home if I want, but I never do. If I drive all the way down there, I'm going to go in. But, yeah, all I have to do is drive down there. I'm under no obligation to go in the door at all. And so mm-hmm. then when I get home from that, then I have some family things going on, and then I start another routine after that. So, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just basic stuff.
0: Yeah, you're really stacking those routines. You don't want that to overflow.
1: Yeah. So, so the first routine is, he says to keep them to about a half hour. Uh, that first routine takes about 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes to get all the way to the gym. And then the next, the next series, it takes a little bit longer because it's more reading for personal development, reading for spiritual development, all that stuff. So anyway. Do you have some picks for us, JP? Yeah, I do. Actually, I, I
0: took a minute to just think about them. Uh as both of you uh, were, were talking about yours, Alando and, and Chuck, the the first pick that I want to talk about is uh, this service called Waffle. Uh, it's kind of a funny name, but it's actually a great product. Waffle.io, and it's essentially a uh, a Kanban board for your GitHub issues and pull requests. And it's something that we use at our company. Quite extensively, and it's a great way. Uh, if you do any sort of open source work or, or any sort of work on GitHub, really, you can basically link up your repository with Waffle, and then from there you can basically use whichever columns that you like. That's kind of the the nice flexibility about it. But I find that it it really gives you uh, a nice overview of kind of what do you have categorized and uh, under which labels and. Uh, what you should work on next, and so something that we use at realm, but i I use that for my personal open source projects too, just because otherwise just to see github 's massive monolithic list of everything that 's in there like like you mentioned Chuck, it just gets kind of overwhelming, and so just like knowing all the habits that you have to do or all the push ups that you have to do can get overwhelming mm-hmm. and so um yeah i'd really recommend it if you do any sort of work on on GitHub.
1: I'll just jump in on that real quick. I use a system called Kanban Flow. It doesn't connect to GitHub issues, but I've, I've used it for um, making my list of things to do during the day and it has a Pomodoro timer built in. And so it's kind of the same thing for life that you're getting out of waffle.io for your projects.
0: Yeah, that's great. Life hacking and code hacking. Yep. It's all the same. Yeah, that's it.
1: All right. Well, thanks for coming. It's, it's been really interesting and hopefully thanks a few people me. find useful and uh, great ideas. If you're doing something with Realm, please leave a comment on the show notes and let JP know. Is there a good way to to let you know about that stuff? Can they tweet at you or email you?
0: You can always always ping me on Twitter at S-I-M-J-P. And then there's always at Realm as well.
1: Okay. Well, thanks again for coming. Thanks for having me, guys. We're going to wrap the show, and we'll catch you all next week. bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn deliver your content fast with cashfly visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com to learn more would you like to join the conversation with the ifreaks and their guests want to support the show we have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time you can sign up at ifreakshow.com slash forum